Uh, our agenda today consists of two parts. We're gonna talk first about the small group market here in the state of California. And then the second part is we're going to um, chat a little bit about how to work with small employers, since that is the, the market that we're talking about today. Um, I believe that uh, this will provide a lot of uh, new agents or agents that are currently active in the individual market, some uh, good tips about how to work in the small group market effectively and efficiently and, and close business. So uh, I, we think that'll be a, a great help to, to many of you. So uh, let's get started and, and talk a little bit about the small group market. And, and you know, today, uh, you know, 2023, we've, we've been uh, involved with the Affordable Care Act or the ACA, as I call it, uh, for uh, uh, almost 10 years, uh, officially. Uh, unofficially, uh, it was uh, before that. But, but um, I, I think to, to, to understand what this market is all about, you have to have to look at what things were like prior to the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, at that time, uh, insurance was regulated strictly by the states with 51 different sets of rules, uh, 50 states plus the District of Columbia. Um, the, market, the, the market was affected by some federal laws such as TEFRA, COBRA, HIPAA, uh, et cetera. But for the most part, um, the regulation was done at the state level. There, were, there was, prior to the ACA, guaranteed issue in some states uh, that actually uh, enacted uh, legislation prior to the passage of HIPAA when, when guaranteed issue kind of came into place uh, in several states. But um, when you look back at things before the ACA, the rating methods and the plan designs were all over the board. Every state had different uh, rating methods that they um, uh, approved. Uh, there was very little commonality among the, uh, the different states about the plan designs and what have you. Uh, particularly here in California, those of us who've been in the business a while go back to California AB 1672, which was passed into law in 1993. And that was a, a, the first attempt by a, a major state like California to begin to standardize the small group market and begin to stabilize costs. At, at that time, uh, the market, the AB 1672 allowed for what we call risk adjustment and it established rate bans for uh, small group uh, products. This had no effect whatsoever on the individual market and it did not affect the large group market. It was strictly the small group market. And at that time, the small group market was defined as two to 50 employees. At that time, PPOs dominated the market, but HMOs were slowly increasing uh, in popularity as they featured more rate stability. The, the price increase on HMOs was substantially less at that time than uh, the price increase on a PPO product. We also had uh, an animal called a MIWA, a multiple employer welfare arrangement. And these were uh, typically self-funded programs for small employers. Uh, they were typically organized by uh, entities such as third-party administrators or associations. Um, the federal government turned regulation of MIWAs over to the states uh, back in 1981, but they kept the regulation of single employer welfare arrangements or CWAs under federal jurisdiction. So California was one of the few states that said, we're, 
we're not going to permit uh, uh, MIWAs to operate in California unless they have the same capital and reserve um, uh, requirements that are met by a fully uh, uh, an insurance carrier. Uh, typically, these MIWAs were sponsored by associations. And unfortunately, there were a lot of bad players in that market, and there were a lot of lawsuit action, which forced states to regulate or outright prohibit these, these MIWA entities. So um, that was what the market looked like, again, prior to the Affordable Care Act being signed into law in 2009 and really fully enacted in 2013. So what does the small group market look like today as we speak? And uh, I, it's always good to compare the small group market to the large group market. In this case, here in California, our definition of the small group market are, are employer groups that have one to 100 uh, employees, full-time uh, eligible employees. Whereas the large group market doesn't kick in until that employer has 101 or more employees. The definition uh, of an employee in the small group market is uh, per the ACA, it's based on a 30 hour a week uh, employee definition or 130 hours a month. And the large group market has that same uh, definition. Um, you have guaranteed issue in the small group market, meaning that the rates that uh, the, the, the coverage cannot be denied a small employer. Um, and in, you, in theory, you have it in the large group market as well. Although I have to tell you that while you have guaranteed issue uh, in the large group market, you do not have guaranteed rates. And that's an important distinction here. In the small group market, you have both guaranteed issue, they, you cannot be turned down, but you also have a guaranteed rate. In other words, the carriers publish a rate, that's the rate that you pay. There's no adjustment to it or anything like that. That is what it is. Whereas in the large group market, yes, you might have guaranteed issue, but you don't have a guaranteed rate, meaning, that if the carrier underwrites you, and they do in the large group market, they could uh, they they could guarantee coverage, but at a higher or or a lower rate than what was initially quoted, and you see that uh, quite a bit in the large group market. In the small group market, you have what's called rate bands with a one to three ratio, and what does that mean? That means that the lowest rate that can be charged for a person, say age twenty. Um, has a ratio of one to three for the highest rate that would be charged, say for a, a 60 year old. So if a, if a 20 year old rate is um, $200 a month, the rate for a 60 year old or the, the highest rate uh, is $600 a month. It's a one to three ratio. That is what we call a compressed ratio prior to, um, prior to this. You, you had a rate band ratio of anywhere from one to five to one to seven ratio. You don't have any of those ratios or rate band ratios in the large group market. It only exists in the small group market. Um, you have what's called essential benefits under the Affordable Care Act, meaning there are 10 essential benefits that must be covered under a group insurance plan. And that is, without question, uh, an important part of the small group market. All these things have to be covered. Um, in the large group market, they don't refer to them as essential benefits, but they refer to uh, benefits that have to have a minimum value. And essentially, it's, it's the same thing as small group, but they just don't call it 
uh, essential benefits. They just say that plan, large group plan, has to provide minimum value. In the small group market, you also have another feature called actuarial value. That means that the plan that you purchase from a carrier has to have a minimum actuarial value of 60%. What does that mean? What that means is that actuarially, the, the, the plan on an, on an average would pay approximately 60% of the cost of, of the claim that is produced. So if you had a, a $10,000 claim, um, the uh, and the actuarial value of say a bronze plan is 60%, at least 60%, that plan would have to pay at least $6,000 of that $10,000 claim. You have higher actuarial values as uh, the, the benefits get better. As I said, a bronze plan has an actuarial value of at least 60%, a silver plan, 70%, a gold plan, 80%, and a platinum plan, 90%. Um, and, and these actuarial values were designed, and, and there's actually some really good things that came out of this, but it's designed to tell people that when you buy a plan, it has to have a value that, that means something, that it really is going to pay this, this portion of the claim that, that you incur. Uh, that actuarial value rule does not exist in the large group market, although I, I would say that many large group carriers do try to provide uh, a similar actuarial values, but they're not required to do that under law. Um, there is an employer mandate in the large group, mar uh, excuse me, there's an employer mandate, as many of you know, that applies to groups of 50 or more employees. So given the fact that the definition of a small group is one to 100 in California, uh, you might have employers that have 50 or more employees that are subject to the employer mandate, which which is a whole different uh, lecture for today, but but effectively that does apply to groups of over 50, uh, and it could be in both the large or the small group market, depending on their size. The other difference in the the, the other differences in the small group market is that we now have what's called member level rates. In other words, there's a different rate for each person based on their individual age. The rate for a 20 year old is different than the rate for a 21 year old or it could be, uh, but uh, what you see is that you've got rates you know, from age 20 to, to age 65, so there's 45, 46 different potential uh, rate differences uh, in, in there. You do not um, um, have that member level rating system in the large group market. They rely on composite rates, meaning they take the average uh, rate for a, a large group of over 100 and that's the rate that you pay. Instead of uh, getting a bill that shows uh, a different rate for each person based on their age, you get a bill uh, that uh, shows a composite rate, the average rate for everybody in the group, regardless of their age. You do have uh, a degree of rate regulation in the state of California. Those rates uh, that are submitted to the Department of Insurance or the Department of Managed Care, if you're an HMO, uh, they are regulated under state law in the small group market, and to a lesser degree, they are regulated in the large group market, although not as not as um, uh, tightly uh, regulated. Um, you do not allow for risk adjustment anymore in the small group market. What is risk adjustment? In the old days, if you had a group and they were quoted what was called a, a standard risk rate, and let's just say that rate was $100, just to use an example the carrier had been allowed in the past to 
uh, increase or decrease that rate, adjust that rate based on the characteristics of the group by plus or minus 10%. So they could get a $90 rate up to $110 rate. That uh, went away with the passage of the Affordable Care Act. They no longer can do risk adjustment. The, the posted rate that you see uh, on paper or online is the rate that they pay. There's no adjustment to that. However, in the large group market, there is uh, uh, risk adjustment and that risk adjustment happens on almost every group that you'll see. They'll, they'll, the carrier can and, and will adjust the rates up or down based on what they feel like the characteristics of the risk in that group are. And when we talk about risk characteristics, we're talking about, you know, number of people that are sick or the, you know, number of pre-existing conditions or pregnancies or, you know, past uh, claims history. So, you don't ask any of those questions anymore in the small group market, but they still ask them in the large group market. You have what's called a minimum loss ratio rule in, in the small group as well as the large group market. In the small group market, the law states that a carrier must charge uh, who charges a rate must spend 80 cents on every dollar for uh, claims. And if they pay, if they if their claims are less than that, in other words, they're making more money, they have to rebate a portion of that money back to the um, the, the consumer, uh, back to the purchaser. So while the rule under the MLR or minimum loss ratio rule in small group is 80%, in the large group market it's 85%. There have been proposals to change both those, but they uh, they've not been enacted into law. Typically, in the, on the broker commission side, you see in the small group market uh, a level non-graded 5% commission. That does vary with some carriers. You'll see some carriers are trying to put in a uh, per employee per month or per member per month fee as opposed to a broker commission. But for the most part, here in California, we have enough carriers competing that um, they, they've all kind of you know, kept their commission level at about 5%. It could be higher or lower than that, but that's a that's a pretty good average. In the large group market, that broker commission can be built in or it can be netted out. Um, you can go to a large group carrier and say, I want net without commissions. I'm going to be paid a separate fee. And uh, some carriers will allow that to happen. So it does vary by the carrier. And then, and then in both the small and the large group markets, I think that we have pretty strong participation by the parts of the carriers, and um, and, and it's true in most states. Uh, California, we're very lucky because we do have a lot of carriers competing for the business, and that has been that's been a, a that's been a really good thing for the broker and their client to have that kind of competition. It's not that way in in all states, but it is uh, certainly that way here. Um, so let's talk about uh, further in the small group market the carriers and the products that they offer. Um, typical, you know, it used to be that one of the most popular plans out there were PPO plans, preferred provider plans. And those are typically offered by what I call the big players, the, the BUCAs, the, the Blues, the United Healthcare, Cigna or Aetna, BUCA. Um, those BUCAs use a feature, either a national or a regional provider network. Uh, they typically um, uh, typically offer a full takeover uh, plan where they they want all of the risk. They want everybody in the group to enroll in their PPO plan, or they may go as a dual choice alongside of their HMO product. So 
If I'm, um, you know, Anthem Blue Cross of California, uh, I might offer a PPO plan alongside of my Anthem HMO plan, and that's um, and that's fairly typical. Um, the PPO networks that we see uh, vary. Uh, they're typically a full network, uh, which is what I call almost the phone book, meaning that that um, you know every non-Kaiser uh, provider is 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 in their PPO network. However, over the last 10 years, we've seen those networks begin to narrow. Uh, so you now have carriers that are offering both full or narrow network products. And then there are some carriers that have been developed to further uh, what I call very narrow network products. So you can see you know, when you have a discussion with a carrier about their, their PPO product, you need to make sure, are we talking about a a PPO that has a full network, a narrow network, or a very narrow network. Uh, that's important to know. Um, on the HMO plan side, uh, again, most of the BUCAs offer uh, an, an HMO plan, and they're also HMOs are typically offered by regional health plans, such as Kaiser Permanente or LA Care or Sutter Health up, up here in Northern Cal or Western Health or Sharp Health down in um, uh, the San Diego market. Um, so. The regional health plans typically are, are, are in the HMO business. I don't see uh, very many PPO products being offered by a regional plan, but uh, there, may be, there may be a few, but typically they're really in the HMO market. Um, the HMO market has changed a lot over the years. It used to be that we would rely on group models or staff models or IPA models, independent practice association models, and we have a mix of all of those here in California. Um, staff models, of course, are the ones where the uh, physician or the hospital are, are owned by the HMO. Uh, a group model might be a, a, a group of um, physicians, for example, in a medical group that contract exclusively or non-exclusively with a, uh, that HMO. And then IPA models are the ones that have independent practice um, doctors involved. Uh, most of these are full takeover plans, these HMO plans, but many of them will allow a PPO dual choice. Um, some uh, PPO or HMO plans offer slice models, which are becoming very popular in certain regions. Again, a slice model where you've got an HMO and a PPO, and people can choose which slice they want or which plan. And as I said before, most HMO products are full network uh, products but they are beginning to offer some narrow uh, products depending on what market you're in. in. In certain areas of the state, for example, in uh, uh, here in Sacramento, you might have a carrier that offers both a full and a narrow network product in their HMO. So uh, it's important that you, you know, keep up on that. There are also uh, EPO, exclusive provider option plans. These plans look like an HMO, but instead they use a larger PPO provider network. And there are several carriers that are offering this EPO type plan design uh, here in California. PPO networks, as I said before, are typically larger than an HMO network. And a PPO, as you know, offers both in and out of network benefits, but, but an EPO plan offers just in network only. That, that's why they kind of feel or look like an HMO because you can only use network providers. And then there are exchange plans. And this is, of course, very important because here in California, we have two major exchanges. You have California Choice, which is a private exchange. 
that's been operating for well over um, uh, 20 years, um, back 25 years, I think. Uh, and then you have Covered California for Small Business, which is a the public exchange that was mandated under uh, the Affordable Care Act to be offered. Uh, both of these are, uh, again, uh, special, unique to California, um, and uh, they're very competitive with, with uh, one another. And uh, I'm very grateful. I think it's a great idea to have competing exchanges like that. Uh, exchanges offer the benefit of consolidated participation among all carriers. So uh, you, you can go in and you can offer you know, a plan that has Kaiser and Anthem Blue Cross and, and Aetna and uh, United Healthcare and um, you know, other carriers. And what the exchange says is that you don't have to have 75 participation for any one carrier, but you have to have 75 particip participation uh, among all carriers that are participating there. And it's a single point of administration. You don't get a separate bill from each carrier. You get one from the, uh, the exchange itself or the exchange's administrator. Some carriers uh, have rate parity, meaning that they charge the same rate uh, within the exchange that they participate as well as for their off exchange products. That's not true for all carriers, but some carriers do offer rate parity. So that's what the, that's what the carrier market looks like today. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there are typically, um, you know, four different levels of, of plan benefits available uh, in the uh, plan design uh, area, uh, platinum, gold, silver, and bronze. As I said before, all plans must cover the 10 essential benefits. So you can't buy a platinum plan that pays for this benefit uh, and then buy a bronze plan that doesn't cover that benefit. Both plans, platinum and bronze, have to cover the same 10 essential benefits. And as long as you meet that, there are some plans that offer uh, additional benefits um, that you would not find under the 10 essential benefits. And they might say, well, we're gonna offer these other uh, extra benefits in our platinum plan, but not in our bronze plan. And, that, and that's okay, they can do that. But again, all four plan designs have to cover those 10 essential benefits. I explained before what actuarial value means. Again, platinum plans, 90% to 100%, were down to bronze plans, typically a 60 to 69% actuarial value, meaning that's the percentage of the claim that they would pay. Uh, the plans vary in deductibles. I see platinum plans that have zero deductibles, and I see some platinum plans that have deductibles as high as $500. We see gold plans that typically have um, 250 to $1,000 deductible ranges, silver plans 1,000 to 3,000, bronze plans 4,000 to 8,000. Uh, again, these can change each year as the law allows for a change in the out-of-pocket and deductible uh, levels in these plans under the Affordable Care Act. Your coinsurance uh, varies as well. I've seen, we see plan uh, some platinum plans that have 0% coinsurance up to 20%. You see it same thing in gold, zero to 30%. Typically, silver plans have 30 to 40% coinsurance, and bronze plans will typically have 30 to 50% coinsurance. These aren't hard and fast, but those are generally what you see uh, um, in coinsurance variations. The max amount of pocket, like the deductibles, uh, varies by uh, plan design. You'll see the, the lowest uh, max amount of pocket limits, which uh, do include the deductible, 
calendar year deductible is included in that will range from a thousand to four thousand for a platinum plan. I don't see too many platinum plans below twenty five hundred dollars anymore. Okay, um, there might be one or two, but but not very many. Um, whereas on the on the opposite side, the bronze plans typically have an out of pocket limit of ranging from five thousand to eight thousand dollars, and I think that's uh, actually going to go up to a little over eight thousand this year as the law uh, allowed for. You see all three plan designs, HMO, PPO, and EPO plan designs in all the different uh, metallic uh, plan designs. So that's that's pretty typical. And um, with regard to uh, health savings account or health reimbursement arrangement options, you typically don't see those offered under platinum plans. You see some of them offered under gold plans and you definitely see them offered in both the silver and the bronze plan design levels. So the ability to have a, a tax qualified HSA or a, a health reimbursement arrangement as well. Um, first dollar benefits. These are benefits that are not subject to the calendar year deductible that might be paid what we call on a first dollar basis with a co-payment. Uh, typically you'll see office visits, um, urgent care, emergency room and prescription drug could all be listed as a first dollar benefit as you get to uh, uh, you know move your way from from platinum down to bronze you you know there are some bronze plans that do have first dollar office visit copayments say you know 50 75 dollars for an office visit doesn't require the deductible to be met the same thing with some of their prescription drugs it's more common to see these plans especially if they're an HSA qualified plan to not provide any first dollar benefits for office visits and prescription drugs. Um, on the prescription drug plans, uh, most carriers offer, again, uh, generic, formulary, brand name, or specialty drugs. Those are the four tiers that we typically talk about, generic, formulary, brand, specialty tier one, two, three, and four, uh, and they'll offer those. Um, in the platinum side of things, most, uh, most of the drug plans that are being offered are first dollar plans. They're not subject to the uh, calendar year deductible, or they may be, um, whereas uh, in, in the others, they, they may have um, first dollar and, or non-first dollar. Some other features that you'll typically see is that you'll, you'll see uh, optional child and uh, dental and vision benefits per the Affordable Care Act. Most will offer um, optional in vitro fertilization. Some will offer optional vision and or hearing exams. Again, those are, those are options that can be somewhat popular. So here's our first polling question. I'm gonna turn this over to uh, Jaron. Uh, first question is, in California, the definition of a small employer group is one that has A, one to 50 employees, B, one to 100 employees, and C, neither, the ACA eliminated this. The answer is B, one to 100 employees. Thank you, Jaron, appreciate your help there. Okay, let's keep moving along. Um, so one question that comes up a lot when I, when I talk to brokers about uh, the small group market, they say, well, you know, if, if you're a small employer, isn't it just a lot easier to, um, to just offer individual plans instead of a small, a small group plan? And there are some merits to that, and, and I think it needs to be discussed. So here are some points that I usually uh, bring up about the pros and cons of individual plans, okay? Uh, one point is that if an employer decides to offer just individual, 
individual plans instead of small group plans, the employer is not required to pay any of the premium. They can just say, here, here's your choice of an individual plan and, and I'm not gonna pay for any of it and you know you can do what you want. So the employer isn't mandated to have to pay any of the premium. Um, uh, if the, because the employer isn't sponsoring the arrangement, uh, they don't have to comply with ERISA and non-discrimination rules. If the employer is just saying you can buy an individual plan um, and, and the employer may or may not payroll deduct those premiums out of their paycheck. Uh, the, the, each employee uh, can choose the plan they like, and that is subject to the individual market guaranteed issue and underwriting rules. In other words, there's an annual open enrollment period that people go through in the individual market now. Um, so the employee chooses the plan they like. If you got somebody who says, well, I like Kaiser, and another one says, well, I like uh, Anthem Blue Cross, or or uh, United Healthcare, then they can buy that on the individual market. Uh, some individual plans may cost less than a small group plan of a similar plan design. I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true today as it was originally because the rates rating structure for both small group and, and individual is very close, but that has, that has changed slightly over the last few years. Many individual plans, however, feature narrow network providers as opposed to full networks. And that's an area where some employers who are offering individual plans, they get complaints because the individual plans out there don't offer a full network uh, provider choice. And, and that can be a problem. Um, the employer can uh, contribute fixed amounts, which may or may not be tax deductible or non-taxable to the employee. So the employer could say, hey, I'm gonna contribute $100 a month towards the cost of your uh, individual coverage. Uh, and what they decide to do is they set up an, an ICHRA, an individual coverage HRA, uh, which started uh, to be allowed in 2020. But uh, when you put together an ICHRA, it does require full ERISA compliance and non-discrimination. So, you know, you've effectively, you've, you've adopted a plan that's, that's going to be uh, regulated more like a small group plan uh, because of ERISA. And from a broker perspective, typically the IFP individual plans pay a lower commission than small group. Uh, IFP applications tend to be a little more complicated than a small group enrollment. Uh, when we're talking about the individual uh, enrollment and in the individual market, um, you know, they, they may ask questions about their income and all to see if they qualify for, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the tax credit and what have you. You, you don't see that, those same questions in the small group market. Um, let me go on then talking about the pros and cons of, uh, of small group plans. Uh, employer offer, uh, employers tend to offer group plans in order to attract and retain good employees. That's the whole reason why we have the employer-based system out there is that it gives employers an opportunity to say, look, I, 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 I wanna attract people to work for my company and I want to and I keep you know those good employees around, and so they'll they'll put in a group health plan because it can help accomplish those things. I, I realize that you know attitudes have changed a lot in the last few years, but but we are you know talking about uh, the average working person out there almost expects that they will get um, uh, you know good benefits, including health insurance, when they go to work there. Employer contributions for group benefits are fully tax deductible, and those benefits that they provide their employees are not considered 
taxable income to the employee. I, I highlight this because there have been attempts on the, in, in Congress to try and limit the tax deductibility of employer provided health insurance and to try and start taxing um, uh, the, the benefits provided by employers to the individual employees. I think that would be a big mistake, but, um, but there have been attempts made. Uh, the cost to the employee is less in a group plan because the employer is contributing towards the cost. In other words, there's an, an employer subsidy of the cost. They, they may say, look, I'm going to pay for 100% of the cost of, of your insurance, uh, but I'm not going to pay for anything for your dependents. Or I may pay the cost, you know, 50% of the cost of both you and your dependents or whatever. But because the law requires the employer to make a contribution, uh, that net cost to the employee is less than if they bought an individual plan. Uh, in a group plan, the employer will pick the carrier, the plans they want to offer, and the contribution level that they want to make. I will tell you that many employers have adopted the employee choice plans in which a menu of different plans and carriers might be offered, and each employee selects the plan of their choice uh, each year during an annual open enrollment. So that's become very popular. And then there are uh, what what we call defined contribution plans, where the employer offers uh, multiple plans and different carriers, but might pay a fixed dollar amount or a percentage of the cost. So it gives the employees some skin in the game to select the cost-effective benefits that meet their needs. And one example is an employer might go out and offer, say, uh, carrier A and carrier B, and carrier A is the less expensive plan because it's a, a tightly um, done uh, HMO. And uh, the employer says, I'm going to pay 100% of the cost of, of plan A. Uh, if you want to upgrade to plan B, you pay the cost difference. And that defined contribution has become very, very popular. Uh, most group plans are governed under federal ERISA law. So there are some non-discrimination rules that have to be followed. Uh, plans, as I said before, can feature both full and narrow network options. Uh, plan designs can incorporate health savings account or health reimbursement arrangement programs within them. Uh, plan designs in the small group market tend to be more robust, especially in the platinum and gold benefit levels, but, but also the silver and bronze plans can be used with HSA and HRA arrangements, as I said before. So you, you see some, some better options, I think, in terms of plan designs. At the end of the day, I think an employer uh, offering uh, group benefits to their employees creates a win-win arrangement. It's a win for the employee, employer, I'm sorry, because it keeps the employees happy. They're paying for a benefit that the employees don't have to pay for if they were on their own. And it's a win for the employee because I think it makes them want to work at that company. You know, employees will not just change jobs uh, because of, you know, the, the pay rate they get, but they'll, they'll change jobs because, hey, I'm getting a uh, full coverage uh, at this employer here for my group health insurance. But there are some downsides of a group plan, and, and they include the fact that the employer must contribute a minimum amount. Typically in California, the employer has to contribute at least 50% of the least expensive employee-only option available. And the employer has to start following federal and state non-discrimination rules, which can be a little tricky from time to time. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, working with small employers and and uh, what what your role in that would be. I I believe that the use of an advisor in purchasing small group coverage has never been more evident since the passage of the ACA. There are some people that think, well, you know, it just made 
uh, this group insurance, you know, kind of standardized and it makes it easy. And I think just the opposite happened. There are so many more rules and regulations, both state and federal rules that are now imposed. The participation requirements, contribution requirements, the non-discrimination rules, the tax deductibility uh, issues, uh, how underwriting is done, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, uh, enrollment and waiver rules about how to enroll and, and how to waive, and then takeover and replacement issues. You know, if you take over or replace another plan, do you get full deductible carryover credit in the middle of a calendar year? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and agents need to know this stuff. They need to be able to go in there and advise the client about, you know, here are the pros and cons of, of, of doing this or making a change. And then that agent needs to know how to, the basics of how to compare plans. You know, I, I was brought up in the rules that said, look, there's, there's three things you have to compare, rates, benefits, and services, okay? What are the rates and the costs? That's pretty evident. Uh, what are the benefits you're you're buying with those with those costs, and what are the services that are provided uh, by the carrier, and for that matter, by the agent? You know what what are you know what is involved there, and and so we refer to this as the consultative method. This is the this is the method that most of uh, our agents try to use to uh, write the business. Why is you know find out why is the employer offering benefits? You know. I mean, are, are they doing it, uh, you know, to, to avoid unionization? That's an issue. Um, you know, why, why are they doing this? Are they doing it because uh, the employer's wife is very sick and they need a group plan to cover that? So therefore they, they want to offer coverage to everybody. I mean, you know, there are issues. What are the employer's needs? What, what does the employer want to accomplish and, and what are their needs in this? And then what are the needs of the employees? If, you, if you've got employees that live in a rural area, trying to sell them an HMO plan that has a narrow network or maybe doesn't even have providers in that area, doesn't do them a lot of good. So you have to have a discussion about PPO plans. So those are the things that the consultative method requires you to use is, you know, work with the employer, ask them questions, find out about their people so that you can make the, the right recommendations. Um, some of the basics that we like to refer to um, is is how to how to do prospecting and and the successful small group agents that I've worked with over the years, the first thing they do is they try to identify a market that they want to work in and then they they work within that market. It might be a small group geographic market like you know I I handle uh, employers in in this city or in this county or in this region of the state. I it's it's the area that I'm really good at. I know who my carriers are here. I know who the employers are, and, and I get that. Other um, agents, advisors, like to work within a certain industry. You know, I, I knew an agent who specialized just in uh, accountants, uh, CPAs, another one that worked just on attorneys, another one that worked on dry cleaners. Um, you know, so they might find a specific industry, learn about that industry, and really know it and understand it. So that employer can talk to them and, and, and they understand what that employer is about. There are some agents that identify uh, a membership in an association or a chamber of commerce, and they go out after their members. And that has been that has been very popular over the years. Even though association uh, health plans are not uh, nearly as prevalent as they used to be, um, they are, they are there are some value when 
an agent might get endorsed by a local chamber of commerce or an association to provide their members with an advisory services on, on purchasing uh, uh, coverage. Those agents that are successful consistently reach out to that market. They, they generate newsletters, they generate uh, um, maybe a, an advisory letter, they attend trade shows, they're active in social media so that the, the people in that market that they're working see their name, they get good information, and they know where to turn to if they have questions because this, this person is putting out good information that they, uh, they're important with. Um, they, they do mailers, they do email, they send out faxes sometimes, uh, they work the phones, and they make a lot of personal visits because small businesses especially, they, they want to know who they're dealing with. And uh, they've found that that works a lot better. Um, most agents will want to meet with those employers on their turf. They, they brand themselves as the local advisor or expert. Uh, a lot of um, trade associations that I work with go out and, and they contract with a network of independent agents to represent their, to their members in certain counties or, or areas or regions of the state saying, here's our local uh, advisor expert and they'll come uh, help you and work with you. These agents will develop marketing collateral that can be used and sent out via email, electronically, social media, fax, phone, et cetera, or hand distributed. And uh, they, should, they should call on the carriers or their general agent partners to help them in that area. Who can, we can design uh, templates and forms for the, uh, the agent uh, advisor to use. And then they, they collect data and they do it in a professional manner. They don't just you know, act for, you know, give me the information on the back of this uh, uh, you know, napkin. No, they, they've got a, a request for proposal form that they use. They, they obtain a member level census, which is required to, to do a quote anyway. They, get, they ask for copies of the current bill, their renewals, their plan documents, and they ask for loss runs if they're available. They're, they're not in most small group cases, but, but they, they still might ask for them like they would in, in um, uh, workers' comp. Um, once a, once an, a, uh, an agent has received a, uh, an RFP and census, you know, what do they do next? Well, the, obviously the, the next thing is to present the proposal to the, the prospect. And I advise you to work with a carrier or a general agent representative who's, who's a trained expert in those products and services. You don't have to be the perfect expert here. Um, and, and don't be afraid to call on the carrier and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make a presentation to this this employer um, this week, and uh, can you go with me and, and help me out there? Um, some carriers will will work with just about any agent that walks in the door. Uh, other carriers can be very um, very choosy about that. But but find a carrier rep or a GA rep to uh, assist you in in those presentations. One option that we see is that determine in advance the plan that you want to sell based on the needs analysis that you did and, and just show that, that plan. You've done the analysis and you've determined this plan meets their needs. Uh, you don't have to show them everything under the sun, but if you've done a good job and you really understand what the employer is saying uh, and, and asking about, then you, you, you should be able to do that. The second option is, is what I call the market analysis approach. And, and that might, present to the employer a, a high level uh, presentation of benefits and costs. And then it drills down maybe the, to the top four or five plans for the employer to consider. And, and 
when that happens, the employer is, is making rather the, rather than a yes or no decision to buy something, they're making an either or decision. In other words, I, out of these, uh, out of this one plan that you showed me, am I going to say yes or no? I like it or not? Or, or are you going to show me four or five plans? And now it's a matter of which of these plans do you like the best? Uh, that might take a little bit longer, but but it shows that you know the market and it helps bring the employer into your world a little bit better than than where they were before. And then ask for the sale by asking closing questions. You know, Mr. Employer, which plans or plan do you want to offer? You know, how much do you want to contribute? What date do you want the coverage to take effect? Here's a sample employee open enrollment packet. Will that work for your group? In other words, assume that they've they, they've made the decision they're going to buy. And now move it into, uh, you know, well, which which of these plans do you want to offer, and what what effective date? And when they say, you know, I I think I just want to offer uh, Kaiser Permanente um, and and Blue Shield, I want to offer those two plans, and say, great, how much do you want to pay? Well, I want to pay, you know, 50% of the the lowest cost, okay? And when do you want this plan to begin? Well, January 1st, okay, great. And uh, will this uh, open enrollment packet work or do we need something different? So in other words, ask those closing questions and, and move on with the thing. Um, let me talk a little bit about small employers and underwriting. Um, and, I, and I think this is important because um, even though the Affordable Care Act eliminated medical underwriting, in other words, you can't ask medical questions of individuals, the carriers are still allowed to underwrite the small group as a whole. What I like to say is that guaranteed issue does not mean guaranteed issue. So uh, the carrier might deny a group because they're not meeting participation requirements, which are important, or they're not meeting um, uh, contribution requirements, or uh, they have too many valid, uh, invalid waivers. I mean, there are reasons why a carrier can say, we're not going to issue coverage to this small employer group because they don't meet our underwriting requirements. And it had nothing to do with asking individual employees for health questions. It had to do with the carrier effectively doing the right thing. So, so um, these are important things that you have to know. There's uh, carrier guidelines will vary. Uh, no, no two carrier underwriting guidelines are, are exactly alike. Uh, there is a special uh, an open enrollment period uh, in the fourth quarter for all small employers in which underwriting rules are relaxed, and, and you should ask your carrier about that uh, if you can. Um, you, you, you have to scrub the case in order to get quick approval from the carrier. Uh, the carrier has applications and attestation forms. They require an initial deposit check or uh, an ACH um, uh, payment arrangement and they want employee enrollment or waiver forms that are completed. There are now online enrollment systems that eliminate incomplete enrollment and replace paper completely. And most general agents and many carriers now uh, accept these uh, online systems. Most carriers will now pay a general agent like, like Dickerson to submit 100% clean business so that they can issue things quickly. So Dickerson is doing all the scrubbing work that, that the carrier doesn't want to do and they expect that they'll submit business ready to go. So in short, underwriting is complex and you don't wanna go it alone. You wanna work with an advisor who understands the complexities in this part of the sale because underwriting is a big deal, all right? You just don't go out and 
fill out a little bit of paper and throw it in there and think everything's going to be fine. It just it does not work that way. In spite of what the government may say about, hey, we we've eliminated medical underwriting and all this and that. That's that's just not the same. Um, there are value added things that that I would encourage you to think about. Um, uh, you know, being able to offer bilingual enrollment, and if you're working with a carrier that or a general agency that that offers bilingual enrollment help, I, I would not be afraid to ask them for help. Uh, providing local customer service and account management to that employer, providing the employer with employee benefit booklets, uh, offering online and, and electronic enrollment, and many agents will pay that cost out of their own pocket uh, to feature that. Uh, many agents will also offer Section 125 premium only pop plans, as we call them, at no charge to the employer. Um, the uh, the carrier, uh, some well, many employers need some help with compliance in ERISA and, and human resource uh, issues. Uh, agents should be prepared to off, pay for or offer COBRA compliance. And then, of course, there's ancillary benefits. You know, they can be employer paid, they can be voluntary, and those things are important in saying, hey, I, I offer more than just group medical, I offer dental, vision, et cetera. Um, Use the professionals that a general agency or a carrier can provide you. That's what they're paid to do. Those, those people are paid to help you enroll those cases and go out and, and do that work. It costs you, the producer, nothing to have a GA or a carrier rep assist in the presentation, enrollment, and underwriting process. Okay, that's you shouldn't be paying for that. If you are, you're that that many right. Polling question number two, and I, I know we're Kind of behind time here so we'll move ahead maybe a 30 second deal polling question number two small group cases are still subject to underwriting is that true or false okay i, th I thought it'd be 100 percent say true but you never know okay thanks guys let me uh let me then kind of uh come to some uh, uh summarize and, and conclude some things i think small group is a growing market as there are a lot more small businesses in the united states a majority of which today do not offer group benefits to their employees. There is a lot of room for growth in this market. Um, you know, you may say, well, uh, you know, everybody that has insurance, you know, bought insurance or they're the ones that want it. Nobody else will do it. That's not true. Every day, uh, you know, small business owners will look at this and they'll say, you know, maybe it's time to, to offer some coverage to my employees that I've not been able to do in the past because we're finally making some money, but I want to attract and retain good people. And so it's a good growing market, and, and uh, we encourage people to, to, to get into it because it's, it, needs, it needs good trained advisors to help out. I will tell you that most large insurance agencies tend to focus on larger groups, and so they may not pay their producers for business that generates less than, say, $5,000 a year in annual commission. That means that small group sales are wide open. Uh, you know, some of these agents from the large firms will, you know, they'll they'll look at a small employer group and they'll say, I'm sorry, I, I'm not paid any uh, anything from my employer to to sell that because it's less than five thousand dollars a year in, in annual commission. Well, I know a lot of small uh, agents out there who would take a a four hundred dollar a month commission, you know, forty eight hundred dollars a year, uh, in a in a heartbeat. So small group sales are wide open because the big guy, the big guys aren't really going after small group. 
small group is is very off the shelf. It's not a customized or complicated product. What you see is is what there is. Yet because of the ACA, employers they need an advisor to help them through the complexities of comparing the benefits. You know what what is the difference between a a gold and a and a, and a bronze plan? You know what's what's uh, let's compare the provider networks. You know this network claims to be a full network and yet it has only half the providers that uh, this other carrier has in their network. Are we compliant? You know, are we comparing apples and oranges here in terms of networks? Comparing the cost, as I said before, you know, uh, the, the rates in the small group market are member level rated. So you're going to see some really interesting cost differences. What one carrier may charge a 35 year old may be very different than than another carrier. And, and so you got to look at, at each person in the group individually and see what their costs are and then add them up to say, what, what, what is an average here? Uh, and then, and then co coordinating the customer service uh, is very, very important. Uh, you, you know, you, you'll get situations where the employer will call on the phone and he'll say, look, I need some help here. Uh, I just got my bill from the carrier and it's wrong. You know, they're billing me for people that are not you know, employed here anymore, I need some help. And so the agent, the advisor needs to step in and say, yeah, I can, I can help you with that. Um, they've gotta be appointed by the, the employer to, to do that with the carrier, but that makes sense. There are other situations where they may say, look, you know, I've got an employee that's having a, a health claim issue here and uh, they're getting denied by the carrier, what, you know, and, and they won't talk to me, the employer, what, what can you do? And, and you, as the advisor, you kind of coordinate this customer service so that people are talking to the right people in the right organizations to get answers to the questions. You know, most small employers, they do not have a human resource or an employee benefits person. <laughs> Typically it's the owner or the owner's wife, right? Or maybe the owner's daughter, I don't know. So they rely on the services of their agent or broker or advisor to handle those aspects of the business. And for that reason, the agent needs to become their expert on small group benefits. You need to know small group inside and out. Work with a carrier, work with a general agent that can help you become that expert. Um, you know, the, the, the learning curve here is not as steep as, as you might think it is. And, as, and then finally, I would say that as a percentage of written premium, broker compensation in the small group market is actually higher than in both the individual and the large group market segments. I've got data in a, in a, in a different presentation that shows that the small group market, um, because it's so competitive, the compensation to an agent uh, has remained relatively high in comparison to the individual market, which really kind of dropped, you know, dropped out, um, and, and in the large group market, which had always been slightly uh, lower on a, as a percentage of written premium in the past. So it's important that you understand that you know there there's good money to be made, fair money to be made, in the um, in the small group market. Okay, I think that brings us to our last um, polling question, and that question uh, it's a real softball I think, but sales growth potential in the small group market is high. Uh, is that true or is that false? Good. Well, good. Thank you all for joining us for the webinar today. The presentation slides and recording will be emailed to all the attendees next week. If you have any questions regarding CE credits, please contact me and I can assist you. There's my contact information right there. 
If you have any questions regarding any other content you heard today, please contact Dave Fear and he'd be happy to answer your questions for you. Quick reminder, we do have two remaining one hour CE courses in our June series. Our next scheduled webinar is next week, Thursday, June 22nd at 1130. And it will be covering what advisors should know about alternative funding. If you haven't already, please register soon and we hope to see you there. Dave, any closing remarks? No, thanks. It's been good to speak to everybody and uh, look forward to talking again next week. Thank you all for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now. Bye-bye.